Well, first, I just want to start off by apologizing for, one, the poor quality because I am driving. That seems to be the only ounces of time I get by myself nowadays with my puppy and traveling and everything else. Um, Welcome back to the jungle. Life is indeed a jungle and I feel like mine will forever be. But if you have not listened to at least the first episode of this podcast, you will probably be very lost. I mean, not too, too lost, but it's more of an update for those who have been following along with my journey um, from my sexual assault that happened in 2018. Um, Yeah, so if you haven't listened to that, it'll probably be a little bit more confusing, but What I want to start off with is that sexual assault case. I'll probably move into talking about all the details of that, what it was like, what I went through, how it's been since then. Then also give a little update on my father. There's not really much to talk about there. Uh, He's a piece of shit, but um, I'll give you an update on it anyway. And uh, really a mental health update because I think it is so, so important what I have gone through and how I have changed so much mentally because of the things I have gone through and the work that I have done to better myself. With all of that being said, I'm just going to go ahead and dive in to my sexual assault case first. Um, I waited 640 days for my rape kit to be fully and completely processed. I was told they were backed up six months. So if you can do a little math in your head, I waited nearly three times that and uh, really close to two years. Um, It was honestly probably more, I wouldn't say I guess more traumatizing, but it was a bigger, almost even a separate form of trauma I got from waiting for that kid day after day after day. Then the assault itself, it was almost like it took an entire new form because while you're waiting for your rape kit to be processed, you know, you have such high hopes that the evidence will sh- the evidence will show and not only that but that y- y- your story and what happened to you was enough for the detectives to want to fight for you and make sure that this doesn't happen to someone else and not only that but to make you feel like you're worth the fight and unfortunately in my case and so many other women's it, it wasn't the case and Day after day, 640 of those days, I spent reliving my sexual assault with a hope and I think at the time somewhat of a fear that I would get a case and not not a fear of having to go to court and do all of that, but a fear of how much longer am I going to wait and you know, you do research on a brain that has gone through trauma and your brain does start to suppress certain details to, in a way, protect yourself from no longer having to relive and go through those things. And all I could ever remember worrying about so much is what if I forget one of those details when I'm up on the stand? What if I leave one thing out or what if I mix up when this part of the this part of my night and my assault happened with a part that happened two minutes later like it to me it was so overwhelming to think that just one little thing like that could make me lose the entire case and all I wanted was to put that man in jail for doing what he did to me but to also make sure no other woman in Salt Lake County had to go through what I went through by him for those of you who did listen to the first podcast you you know detail by detail of my sexual so I told it in the exact order and the exact thing and the exact feelings that everything happened and when I did tell my story to the detectives while at the hospital one of the things they pointed out was the acts of him choking me was actually not something that a first-time offender would do that is something someone with more confidence would choose to do in that scenario because they've done this before and that was one of the things that stuck with me for about the week after I completed the rape kit and told my initial bits to the detectives and police officers and the 700 other freaking people but that was one of the things that pushed me to go forward and try to press charges was if the girl before me 
would have done this and gone through all of this and reported it and then maybe I wouldn't have. Maybe he would be in jail somewhere and this is something that wouldn't have even happened to me. And the thought that I could be that person for another woman was really what motivated me to go through with pressing charges and trying to get my perpetrator put in jail. Um, The rape kit came back with not enough DNA for the district attorney to feel comfortable to prosecute forward. I, uh, one of the hardest things for me to ever have to work through is beating myself up for, for taking a shower. I also wish that that was something that was maybe taught in high school. And if you can learn that from this podcast today, I hope you do. If you are ever sexually assaulted, no matter how gross and icky and disgusting and mutilated you feel from that, please, for the love of God and all things holy, do not take a shower. Because the longer you sit in that water and cry and just try to form what happened to you, the more you are washing away the DNA that could help you. And that is something I had no idea about. That is not something I was even thinking about. And I more than anything wish if I could go back in time, it would be to go back in time and never take that stupid ass shower. But because I did do that, reasonably so, I... Well, I guess they were only able to confirm matching DNA from my perpetrator on my body around my neck from when he did choke me. Everywhere else, there was no DNA to be found, which then left the detective to not feel comfortable enough in pursuing with giving me a case and simply said to me on the phone, you know, it's, there wasn't enough sorry don't know what to tell you and that in itself was pretty heart and gut-wrenching just for the simple facts of I had just waited 640 plus days by the time the district attorney's office reviewed the rape kit results probably 650 days for them to just shut a door in my face and those feelings are something that's so hard to describe it it left me feeling worthless it left me feeling like I wasn't worth maybe the fight it left me feeling like I never wanted to take a shower again it left me scared for any woman that comes in contact with this man ever again it it really was gut-wrenching and heartbreaking to hear that it just wasn't enough like what I went through wasn't enough wasn't bad enough wasn't hard enough wasn't humiliating enough it wasn't it just wasn't there and I believe from that day forward I was able to start a new pathway of my healing journey and you know, besides besides the rape kit and the rape kit, you know, being an epic fail towards me, there was so many other issues as well. And when I start to talk about this, I want to make one thing very clear. If I could go it all back and still report and still do all the steps I've done, I would. Because what I'm about to tell you is probably a vast majority of the reason why I would say at least 80 to 90% of women don't file these reports because the detectives fail them and then it makes you feel stupid and it makes you feel like what was the point of trying or any other hopeless and worthless feeling you could feel or describe it you feel it you have it but again I just would like to reiterate even going through what I've gone through and having the piece of shit detectives I had I would still go through and report it because I was doing the right thing. I was doing the right thing not only for myself because my rights were violated and I was violated as a human being and also for the simple fact that I could I could have saved someone else. I could have saved someone else years of trauma, the rest of their life with PTSD triggers. I could have. But without ever trying to report it, that, that possibility would have never been there. And... So please, if you 
if you have been assaulted I know it's hard and I know it's scary but please find the strength within yourself to report that because it's not only not only not okay for you to go through something like that and not you know find justice for yourself but it's also not okay to leave that perpetrator out there for him to do it to someone else or her but it's not okay to leave that perpetrator out there without any repercussions for what they've done and the open arms to do it to someone else but my detectives failed me one detective in particular I'm gonna nickname her Detective G because Detective G was a real bitch and you know it it's really confusing and it makes no sense this detective while working on my case could not seem to find any of the people I told her I was there with because I didn't have last names that was her I guess blame or excuse for not being able to find these people to question them about the night and what had happened and so it left me no choice really but to unblock my perpetrator on Instagram and go through his following and followers by the first names of the people that I knew were there I I mean I don't know about you guys but I, I don't go to a party and when I start meeting people, ask them what their last name is. That's not, I don't believe that that's a very common thing for anyone to do, (laughs) but especially a 19, 20 year old girl. I don't, I don't think we go around asking people their last names too. And so I don't really feel at blame for that. I feel my detective was just a lazy bitch and didn't want to do the work she was literally getting paid to do. But I did that and I put myself through that very triggering 20-25 minutes of going through every platform he has and is active on searching in his following his friends whatever the fuck it was by first names the same information I give her and I was able to find every single person I had mentioned to her on every single platform of social media I was on I'm talking Facebook Instagram Twitter and I had to send her screenshots That's the only way she was able to interview these people, if she ever even did interview these people. I mean, will I ever know? No. But with the way she treated me and went through the entire case process, I sincerely doubt it. That was one thing. Another thing, I was requested to get phone bill information so she could see incoming and outgoing texts and phone calls off of my phone which I had requested if she could do that on her own because my phone at that time was still on my dad's plan. So T-Mobile would not let me access the records on my own. My father, who is the priority person on the plan, was the only person who could request that information. And I requested that the detectives reached out to my father on their own to request that information. She wouldn't let me. She wouldn't do that. I had to do it, which then also brings me to the point that made no sense to me either, because if we were going to use this as viable evidence, and I bring this up because when I did retrieve the phone records from my father, there were several pages missing, several. Staple was taken out and there were several pages missing. And it's not like I'm making it up. The pages were numbered. So when you go from 72 to 81, it it kind of makes things make sense that there are pages missing. That's a, a pretty decent gap in numbers. But then that no longer makes evidence viable. It has been now handed down from whoever from T Mobile sent it to my father. My father then tampering with it however he chose to, giving it to me. And then really, if I wanted to, I could have tampered with it and then given it to them. That's now three people this quote-unquote form of evidence has gone through. How do we trust that? How are you actually gaining information off of that? It was very confusing and genuinely made no sense to me. I mean, I'm not a detective. I'm not a lawyer. But I do know a good, healthy amount to know that those phone records would not have held up in court with an ounce of anything because of how many people have interfered and t- 
tampered with the evidence. That was another thing. Third thing, my Detective G got placed on... What was it called? See, look, now my mind goes blank. She got placed on essentially like a probation, but it was the kind where she... Oh, um, administrative leave of absence. That's what it was. So Miss Ma'am got placed on an administrative leave of absence while she's working my case right after she had asked for these said phone records and just never returned a phone call, never talked to me for like six months. So I'm left here calling my detective, showing up to the police station. And even when I showed up to South Salt Lake Police Station to turn in my records, I got looked at like I was stupid. She told you to bring these here? Yeah, why the fuck else would I be bringing just a fat ass stack of phone records here? Like, for shits and giggles, because this is fun for me to do on my Thursday afternoon. Like, no, fuck you. And it was a mess. No one called me to tell me she was placed on administrative leave. And not only that, but I think the proper protocol, if a lead detective on a sexual assault case that is still ongoing... I think there should either have been a replacement of detectives where I have someone to communicate with, someone still working my case, and or at least a phone call saying, if you try to reach your detective from now until the next six months, you're not going to hear from her. She's not going to contact you. But instead, I was just left in the dark on that as well. And then it comes all the way down to Sergeant Crackhead. That's what we're going to call him, Sergeant Crackhead. Sergeant Crackhead is Detective G's boss. So once we do a little digging, and by we, I mean my mother and I, we are some FBI agents on the side. We do some digging to find out Detective G has been placed on administrative leave for some type of action she went through uh, while doing a service ceremony in Washington, D.C. Once that became news to us and it had, we had been waiting well over a year on my rape kit my mother and I decided to go and meet with Sergeant Crackhead to be like can you give us an update can you give us answers because there's no phone number listed for the lab that my rape kit is at otherwise we would have just done all this work our damn selves and he was honestly the rudest person I have ever encountered besides my dad while working through my sexual assault. He replied with things like, I don't know what to tell you. That's not my job. I don't work at the lab. I don't know what to tell you. Sorry about that. And literally in a nasty tone, in a I don't give a shit, in a a fuck you, in any other type of tone he could have had other than trying to be nice and helpful, he had it. And I walked out of there crying. And I actually pretty sure I called him an asshole. And I hope he goes to hell. But I don't really remember entirely. But I just know I said something that was pretty vulgar on my exit. And so really to wrap things up as a whole, I at that time had requested to my district attorney to please make sure that any and all of my rape kit results go directly to him. I don't want to hear from the detectives or anyone from the South Salt Lake Police Department any further. I, you know, explained to the district attorney why I felt so strongly on this and requested that they now be left out of it. And that's pretty much how it went after that. That's when we got the phone call from the district attorney letting me know that, you know, there's no way to proceed forward. And... That was pretty much that. I mean, I went through the statistical why women don't report, and it was infuriating. It was essentially just like how the rape kit was its own own secondary trauma to my assault. Reporting it and working with South Salt Lake, the police department, was also a whole other form of trauma. It was a whole other piece of healing I had to work through that didn't really have anything to do with my assault itself but the way I was treated by them and that was demoralizing it was honestly horrible I had never even been talked to people like that that I don't like 
but to be talked to by people like that who were supposed to be on my side, who were supposed to be fighting to keep me safe, fighting to keep other women safe, those who are, whose job is literally to keep people safe and their job was to help me and to keep me safe and they couldn't even give me 10%. I joke about it all the time, but I'm, I'm very serious also when I say it that I believe if I could have been the detective on my case and done all the work, I guarantee you I would have found and done so much more than leaving it with Detective G because she was just a dumb bitch and it was almost like she didn't try at all. And for her to be placed on administrative leave and then come back and continue working my case makes no sense to me either. And for her to have a sergeant, which is his her boss, be just a complete dick. It was just very, like, again, like, the only word I really have for it is demoralizing. It, it doesn't change anything for what I have gone through. If anything, it just made it that much harder. I was failed by a man when he made the choice to take advantage of me. I was then failed again by detectives who didn't care enough to even fight for me or try. And then failed yet again by prolonging the outcome of waiting two years for my rape kit to be complete again. And then yet failed again another time by the justice system that also failed me. There's so many bits and pieces to my entire sexual assault that I feel like I had to work through and heal that I don't think anyone should have to go through and work through on top of being assaulted and trying to work through that. But I do want to make something very clear. No matter how hard that was and how much I would do it all again. No matter how much extra bullshit it was, no matter how much extra trauma and hurt and heartache and pain that it was, I would do it all again because I was doing the right thing. And I know I was. I was doing the right thing for me and my justice. I was also doing the right thing for the countless and countless of other women that will encounter this man. And I pray to God he doesn't do the same thing to them. I, I pray to God that him just having officers show up to his house, collect his quote-unquote side of the story, and swab him for DNA scared him shitless enough to never fucking touch another woman in her sleep while she's drunk, while she's flirty, while she has some outfit on, while she's with whoever the fuck. I just hope to God on everything that I love that that was enough to scare him. Because it will break me if I ever find out that he hurt another woman the way he hurt me. The next piece to my big giant jungle would be my father. Um, I guess first and foremost, the place to start with all of it is as I work through therapy, I've learned that there's a lot more that has affected me mentally and emotionally due to my my childhood from the way my father decided to treat my brother and I. Um, I, of course, got a little bit more than my brother because my brother stayed living with my mom and I moved in with my dad in the sixth grade. Um, through going to therapy, I've learned a lot about narcissism and gaslighting and my dad should teach a course on how to gaslight someone because it is astronomical the way that my brain thinks and tries to think through things and how unhealthy it is. It's still an ongoing process I'm trying to work through and, and you know, use the tools my therapist gives me and ask all the questions because my my head is always 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 more concerned about the people around me than it is about myself because of the way my dad decided to gaslight me it I always wonder I guess what is reality and what isn't maybe reality because for those of you who know gaslighting and know what a narcissist is it 
it really, I mean, there were things that had happened and things that I would try to confront and try to resolve. And I would just get flat out told that that's blatantly not true. And why do you want to make your dad sound like such an evil man, Mariah? But that's exactly, it's exactly what my dad was, was a very evil man. And I think someone who is capable of gaslighting someone, especially their child, the way I had been gaslit is unfathomable and I I don't wish that on anyone you know I went from daddy's little girl and I would die without you Mariah and anything else you can think of being a princess to not meaning a single thing in this entire world and it's honestly something that has affected me and while although I you know, know that I'm making the right decision by not having my father in my life, it it still does get hard because of those moments that, you know, existed prior to me being old enough to realize that this isn't what a, a good, genuine relationship with your father should be like. I was daddy's little girl. I was a princess for a good amount of time until I got older and my dad started to lose control over me and my thoughts and that didn't make him happy just like it wouldn't make any narcissistic gaslighter happy they crave that control they crave the control of your thoughts your emotions your ultimate reality and once I was old enough and wise enough and even mature enough to recognize that these things weren't weren't reality at all and my dad was losing control of controlling my reality that he really started showing his true colors and throughout therapy one of the things I have learned is that I have mourned the loss of my dad as if he is dead so the loss of no longer having my father present in my life has affected me mentally and emotionally like my dad is literally gone which is a blessing and a curse because it makes things a little bit easier but also a curse because my dad's not dead and I have to live every single day knowing my dad has had opportunities to fix the relationship with me and literally chooses specifically chooses not to I guess to go into detail about how he could have re-pieced together our relationship I had ran into him at the gym one time and you know I hadn't seen him in a while and daddy's little girl my inner child came out rather than the smart adult woman who knows what she deserves and I just wanted my dad's hug really bad it's it's heartbreaking to me because I don't know a single other person's father who chooses to not want their daughter the way mine has and once that altercation had occurred and we had you know seen each other and chit chatted for a few minutes he had started texting me random days have a good day sis love you like everything was fine and normal and it was the farthest thing from fine and normal and so I placed a healthy boundary and I said hey you know I I do want to work on this relationship but we can't just jump into things acting like they're normal and everything is the way it once was so I would like to you know, refrain from doing that. I'm not upset at the things that have happened prior to me setting this boundary, but I now would like to set this boundary in place to be able to try to work on mending this relationship in a healthy way. And along with that, I made one request prior to me feeling comfortable enough to really start mending the relationship. And I had just asked for him to no longer be in contact with my best friend, former best friend, who was present at my sexual assault, who told the perpetrator that I was at the hospital having the rape kit done, who thought it was crazy that I had been assaulted, who 
lied about everything and again I know I've said it before but if you haven't listened to the first episode to this podcast where I talk in detail about what exactly happened to me that night this is going to be confusing for you because it, it just won't make sense and it might seem like I'm asking for something strange but for her to have requested us to stay the night there because she was tired and didn't want a jazzy drive to then not be in the room while I'm sleeping at god knows what time in the morning two or three I could assume and be out hanging out with people while I was in the room and being assaulted because she was no longer in there doesn't make sense for her to react the way she did when I told her I was assaulted doesn't make sense for her to call and text my perpetrator that I was in the hospital having a rape kit done doesn't make sense none of it makes sense and for my dad to willingly still choose to talk to her also doesn't make sense you know I believe there's a fine line of a boundary with your family and your friends and I believe that you know once you one of your children is no longer friends or even acquaintances with someone you should have their back and do the same thing for them especially when it's the scenario that I'm in of someone who was present at my assault and could have done something to maybe not have allowed me to be assaulted and this is something that made me uncomfortable from the very beginning of when my assault or post-assault I guess I should say would be the better phrase because really there's not a reason in the world that my dad should still have any type of communication with her and yet he was and he was having communication that was you're my daughter you will forever be my daughter we love you so much and that just made me very uncomfortable and so at the request along with the healthy boundary of not just acting like everything is fine and the same and okay I requested that he cut off communication with her and you know in the heat of the moment of this request my father was eager anything anything for you done consider it done and it really left me hopeful that I could somehow mend at least some pieces of this relationship with my father maybe not all the childhood pieces but at least the sexual assault pieces of him blaming me for being raped and you know I think it lasted maybe two or three weeks and next thing you know I'm seeing posts on Facebook about her from my dad and my stepmom's page. We're so proud of our daughter. And it's not me in the picture, but it's my former best friend. So not even for a few weeks could my dad even attempt to uphold his side of the bargain to be able to mend this relationship with me. My His relationship with me wasn't worth that to him, but my former best friend who they had known for a handful of years was worth it was worth more than fixing the relationship with me and I think that's something that hurts especially when you know I didn't even necessarily I don't even know I mean I shouldn't have necessarily even have been the one to try to mend this relationship it should have been him it should have been him coming to me apologizing it should have been him trying to ask how he could fix it not me especially when I'm the child in the situation not to mention what he did post my assault what he did throughout my childhood and not him picking a friend over me but like just so many reasons that I shouldn't have been the one in the responsibility position to try to fix this. And along with all of that, I I know I am better off without him. I know that my head and my heart 
is better off without someone making me feel as though I am less than all the time. It is better than me paying the price for someone's bad day because I didn't do the one right thing or I didn't ask the one right question that only God freaking knows what those questions and right things were because unless you could read my father's mind, then you didn't know either and everyone was going to pay the price, but it was usually just me. There are countless and countless and countless of stories I could tell you about things between my father, you know, whether it's me having to call my mom slash the cops when I'm, I think, eight or nine years old because he's laying his hands on my stepmom and I was scared and so young that at the time when I saw my stepmom's cell phone on the edge of the bed and I stole it to be able to call my mom, I took my little brother in the room that we shared and we hid behind curtains because I somehow thought that that would keep us safe. Or if it was the time on Thanksgiving that I wasn't cutting something the right way and I asked how he wanted me to cut them and because I asked the question that made me stupid and ended up in me being locked up in my room not even able to enjoy a Thanksgiving dinner with my family while everyone was over. Or it was the time I tried to express I didn't feel loved and instead of doing what any other normal person would do and use words of affirmation or physical touch or you know make a plan to try to fix these things he instead yelled at me and told me how fucking selfish I was because look at the roof over my head and the clothes on my back and I want to dare say that he doesn't fucking love me which led to him sending me to my room and he would say that he was talking loudly which really meant he was yelling but that's how he felt better about it but he would yell from the living room like I couldn't hear him in my room about how I'm a stupid whore and who the fuck do I think I am and more and more mentally fucked up things like I wasn't right there and just 13 14 years old as he's throwing tissues around and slamming chips down and throwing the plate of chips to where my stepmom then tells me I have to go clean up my mess. And by my mess, she meant my father's mess. But it was mine because I was the one who said something that set him off and caused him to then somehow create this giant mess that's now my problem. There are so many of those stories I could tell. That's just the tip of the iceberg. But I know I'm better off without that. And that's not to say, like I was speaking on before, that the little girl inside of me doesn't just miss her dad some days. But the little girl inside also misses a dad that wasn't really her dad. She misses the dad that would be doing everything to try to fix this relationship because she was daddy's little girl. And that's unfortunately just not the reality I was actually living in, but that's the reality my father decided to present to me at that moment of time in my life. Blood is not thicker than water. Physically, maybe, but in our life, it's not. And I believe that we get to choose our family. The people who are really there for you, the people who really show up for you, the people who answer the other side of the phone and treat you with respect and love you and care about you and want what's best for you and always show up to support you. I believe that that's who your family is, whether it's friends or cousins or your friend's parents or co-workers, whatever it is, whoever gives you that feeling, that sense of comfort and family and love, that's your family, not just because you share similar DNA. Last and final piece to the update for this episode for the podcast. After going over, you know, what happened in my sexual assault case and my father, really all that's left is where I'm left at mentally. Um, again, just as, a, I guess, re-going over everything, I was diagnosed with PTSD, major PTSD, severe depression, 
generalized anxiety disorder and panic disorder, but as of now, panic disorder has started to fall under the major branch of generalized anxiety disorder and PTSD. Um, That's a lot to take in, really. I mean, there's, I did a whole entry on my blog, but to just give like a rough go over of everything, generalized anxiety disorder is when you just get general anxiety over certain situations that other people would see as normal so for me certain scenarios that give me anxiety are things like parking lots or drinking around people I don't know I have a very hard time doing that I like to be with people I know while I'm in that scenario um certain things like yeah just men honestly as a whole men make me very anxious I don't like them (laughs) But it seems like in this 21st century, we all have jumped on the bandwagon of not liking men. So I guess I have some support there. Um, My PTSD really only comes in the forms of triggers now. It was really horrible and just like constant, really, really, really deep and dark nightmares of me reliving my trauma. And those were probably the harshest form of the PTSD. Um, When I get panic attacks and stuff, that's actually the one area that I haven't necessarily uh, excelled in to work through. Um, I think, one, I just haven't had as many panic attacks as I used to, so it's hard to attempt to implement the tools and the skills that I have learned from going through therapy to handle these types of situations. But because I have worked through large portions of my PTSD and my anxiety and the depression, it no longer is such a reoccurring theme to have panic attacks, more so, if anything, anxiety attacks. And those I'm actually really good at identifying when one is coming on. I know really well what works best for me. A pro tip, my friend Miranda actually showed me this years and years and years ago when we were working at Laguna, and it helps me still to this day. But like ripping something up or breaking something up into as small of pieces as I can is the biggest helping aid for me when I'm in the middle of an anxiety attack. I will literally look at whoever's in the room if I'm surrounded by people or if I'm by myself. I know I just need to find something. But like paper or if you're outside, something like a sticks, like a sticks, like sticks. And to just break it or rip it up into as small of pieces that you could possibly imagine it getting to that's one of my biggest aids for anxiety attacks so there's a tip for you and god bless my friend Miranda for showing me that years and years and years ago because it seriously has helped me so much since that um and my anxiety honestly just it I wouldn't say it's necessarily subsided I say I still get pretty naturally anxious at the same things but with the tools and skills I have learned from my amazing therapist, I can recognize it a lot sooner and actually calm myself down and redirect my brain into a different area before even allowing the anxiety attack to happen. Rather, I'm able to stop it in the midst of me being able to feel it build up. And that's incredible, honestly. I feel like I have freed myself from so much by being able to do that. trying to think of other things that were really helpful for me another really helpful tool for my anxiety was uh to draw something I I had this backstory I had this issue and I still have it it's something I have to work on every day but where my brain would try to convince me of the worst possible scenario will always be my life because that's the way my life seemed for quite a while that no matter what the situation was work family friends my own personal life, it was like I could not get away from the negative, most horrible outcome that you could get in that scenario. And with that and because of all that, I had to learn how to re-navigate and direct my brain into a different area because obviously no one wants to think like that. No one wants to sit and think that whatever the worst case in this situation is going to be what happens to me because woohoo, look at my life. And so I had to draw out on a paper what my anxiety would be. And I named mine my dude because I would always say like dude. 
and so I named mine my dude and I had to realize that my dude was really there my anxiety was really there in attempts to protect me from what I have already gone through and in a weird sense it was almost set as a defense mechanism without realizing that it was actually causing me more harm than good and so when I came from a place of understanding on that level it made it a lot easier to target what things were anxiety and what things weren't and I had to learn how to tell my dude to shut up like thank you for looking out for me and trying to protect me and keep me safe but this is actually how I feel about this situation and this is how I want to handle it and that was honestly that as well as working through an actual anxiety attack itself those two were the biggest things for me to be able to work through my anxiety and I've even shared that method with friends that I have that also have anxiety to try to help them you know see if it's a similar fit for them where it works out really well and it's something I just genuinely really do feel so strongly about that was a big aid into helping me get through all of this um but really from where I started into where I am now I have grown and I have learned so much that my therapist and I will even laugh during my therapy appointments now because we there's a lack of things to talk about and we'll push out appointments a little farther you know there was a point in time where I was going to therapy weekly and now it's like I push it out to in between two and three weeks and even in those two and three week appointments we just kind of sit there and eventually kind of start giggling and laughing because the hour appointment is almost not needed anymore and that often even it's it's insane um Another thing we talk about and she really does praise me for is that she just thinks that I have learned so much and that me actually being a therapist to others would be a very good fit for me with the way and I guess how I interpret all of these things as I discuss them to her. It's almost like I don't even need her to give me the skills and the tools anymore. Now I identify the problem. I tell her that I've identified the problem and this is how I'm going to handle it. It's more so I just have a, a really close bestie. I always have called my therapist my bestie because she knows everything. And I talk to her the same way I would talk to my best friends. She's an angel and I have no idea what I would do without her. But it is incredible to have your therapist tell you, you know, especially putting myself in the shoes of who I was two years ago, fighting to go to therapy. I didn't want to go. I didn't think it would work. I didn't think it would help me. none of it made sense and on top of all of that I felt like it was so unfair that I had to take time out of my life to go to a therapy appointment every week to fix something I didn't even break to fix something that other people broke on me or for me and now I have to have the responsibility of fixing it it just all seemed so unfair and it was a battle for me to really get going and to stay consistent and committed to it and wanting to help myself live a better life from the negative horrible things that happened to me that I obviously 100% did not ask for but it is now my responsibility and accountability to heal and if I want to live a different life from the way it was going before and the way my mental health was you know affecting me before I have to be the one that steps up and really makes the changes to be able to give myself a different outcome it's the best feeling in the world sincerely to have your therapist tell you that you've come so far and that she thinks you would be great at actually helping other people get through the things that I have gone through which is definitely something I've thought about even before any of this stuff has happened to me just from the childhood I did have growing up with my father I've always wanted to be you know a beacon of hope to any other child or children that has a home life the way I had a home life and to let them know you know that there's always ways to help yourself in these situations it's definitely something I've I've thought of but even more so now after especially after my sexual assault and just having people still today you know I I don't talk much about my sexual assault or as often as I, I once did when it was still fresh and it was still a new thing you know the blog being on the news doing the podcast my Instagram Facebook, anything and everything that is a social media platform, I was, you know, trying to bring awareness to the victim side of being sexually assaulted as well as what we all need to do to make 
one in four women no longer one in four women because that's absolutely insane. But I have people still till this day who have seen or just remember me talking about my story or me being so vocal with everything that that entails and going through all of that looks like I have people that I don't even know reach out to me and ask me for advice or what they should do or what these feelings are and people that I do know really close that have either gone through something in the past or are currently going through something now and it feels you know it feels like a little bit of heavyweight pressure to know that I do have people looking up to me to help them in situations like that but that does not outweigh the amazing feeling of knowing I could help someone else not feel alone at a time that I felt the most alone in my entire life because it truly is not something that anyone could really understand and even then every sexual assault survivor goes through it processes it and heals from it differently it's all a very different experience for each and every person but the general feeling of feeling alone or not worthy or confused and broken is pretty across the board for all of those things and to be able to help someone not feel alone and help them know that they are not in this by themselves is an amazing feeling for me to have just knowing how I felt during those times. All in all, it's really just come down to very minor and not at all frequent PTSD triggers. I mean, those are kind of hard. It takes, you know, I think the only time I could almost guarantee I'll get a trigger is the anniversary of my actual assault itself and being in the hospital. Other than that, it, you know, it doesn't really, my PTSD doesn't get to me all that much. I'd say my anxiety is an ongoing thing that I've just learned and gotten the skills to really work through, acknowledge, and try to prevent. And really anxiety in itself is a me against me situation as it is for, I think, anyone with anxiety. You just don't really realize it until you're able to recognize and go through what is causing your anxiety, what is your anxiety stem from, you know, what why does this situation or these people or this environment make you anxious? What is it about that that can correlate to something else in your life or something else that has happened to you that makes you so anxious about it? And really then after that, it comes down to the realization of I control my own thoughts. If it's good today, if it's good this hour, if it's good this month, let it be good. Enjoy it now. Don't let things get in your mind and boggle with you and make you feel like it's not or that tomorrow's not going to be good because when you do that you have ruined now whatever day you're expecting to not be good but also this moment right now that you're worried about it not being good and you've now lost two days one of the biggest things that is so hard to accept and I think as a human nature we will always go through is that we can't control the future and we will never have any idea what our life is actually like and what the outcomes will ever be there's no way to really know those things and so if life is good now enjoy it now because stressing about it doesn't change the outcome it just changes the perspective you have of it now which can then in turn just lead you down the negative rabbit hole And another thing that was hard to accept with all of that is that I genuinely really do deserve happiness. I deserve peace. I deserve love. I deserve respect. I deserve to be a priority to someone or multiple people. I deserve to be a priority to those that I also make a priority. I deserve to be taken care of. I deserve to be talked to kindly. We all do. We all do. And really acknowledging that and making yourself go through steps to treat yourself that way to treat yourself with kindness and love acceptance respect it is hard a lot harder than it ever should be but it is hard and the breakthrough of that and finding your worth and acknowledging that you deserve x y and z really has helped shape me into 
I would say, the wonderful, independent woman that I am now. And there's always going to be work to do. I'm 23 years old. It's not like I am so old and full of wisdom, but I have gone through so much life experience that has put more of a mature head on my shoulders, and I'm fully aware of that. I appreciate it, in a sense, because there are people that haven't had those life experiences and, you know, might not learn certain things or come out as strong and know that they are capable of pulling themselves out the way I have. I might have learned the hard way, sure, but now anything I face, I know cannot break me unless it is going to bring me down as horrible as my sexual assault and all of the trauma that came from that, as well as, you know, the side results of trauma and things from my childhood with my father if if you're not gonna knock me down that far then it's almost like don't even bother trying I survived one of the worst things I think anyone can go through in the world that didn't kill me I'm not gonna let anything else I'll be damned if someone gets to take anything else away from me I took control I take control and I will for the rest of my life I will continue to work I will continue to gain skills and tools. I will continue to help those around me. And most importantly, I will continue to help myself. I think we all forget to love ourselves a little bit the way we do love others and to give ourselves the acknowledgement and the treatment the way we would treat our best friend going through the same scenario that we are going through. And I think that has also been one of the largest parts in my healing process as a whole. In my final conclusion, if you made it this far, thank you. I know that there's a lot of filler conversation in there and explanation. And if you are at all confused, probably listen to the first episode. I think that will fill in a lot of gaps. And if you still are a little confused or have questions or want to know anything, I truthfully really want you guys to all know that I am an open book. Whether it's things from my childhood, if it's something from my sexual assault, if it's something from my mental health issues, you know, I have always been an open honest book I have a very hard time lying especially because as my mother will tell you if if my mouth doesn't say it my face will and usually my face is very disgustingly rude and RBF is a issue I have um but hey who doesn't have it now at least and I just really hope you guys all know I am here to help or to answer any questions you know feel free to reach out to me on any of my social media platforms like Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, Facebook even, or if you have my number, text, call me. I'm always here to help. I'm always here to help understand, to help with what's helped me, to help give advice, whatever the case may be. I am more than happy to be here and be that person to anyone who is listening or anyone at all. I'm really thankful to have had such an amazing support system like those of you who have listened to my podcast, those of you who are in my daily life, those of you who reach out when they know certain days are hard and do the things that I know, or at least that they know, help me and to really pay attention to me, support me, and help give me the strength I've had to be able to overcome all the things that I have. To say that as of right around this time of year in December, I have not thought about suicide for nearly a year and a half now is incredible. It's not a place I thought I would be at two years ago when I just wanted it all to stop. Please don't give up. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on the people who love you and support you. There is so much to this life that we haven't even gotten to experience yet. So many people we haven't met that could love and adore us until the end of time. Don't give up. Don't let your depression or your anxiety or what you may have fallen a victim to take anything else away from you or any more away from you than it already has. You are strong enough to fight back. You are strong enough to win. And you are strong enough to come out on top. It doesn't matter how much time it takes. It doesn't matter if you go to therapy for the rest of your life. These are all things that so many people, I think, need and fail to acknowledge that it is good and healthy for you to have that type of mental support, to be able to work through and acknowledge feelings and to learn tools that can help you in a mental state where you might not be fully in control the way you deserve to be. 
and I really just hope that more than anything all I've ever wanted is to provide a sense of a safe place for someone who maybe doesn't have somewhere else to go to dump their information to work through whatever it is that they're going through and to realize that feeling depressed and suicidal or being a victim and a survivor to sexual assault doesn't take everything away from you and I hope that I can be living proof of that that it doesn't stay that way and that dark forever there are so many other things in life to experience and enjoy and I hope more than anything you guys know you are strong enough to get through anything and I'm so thankful that you guys have made me and helped me become strong enough to know that I can get through anything I love you all. I'm going to end this now that it is way too long. Thank you guys for listening to everything and all the updates on my sexual assault, my sperm donor of a biological father, and my mental health. I, again, just hope you guys know you can always reach out to me. Ta-ta to the jungle for now.